Okay, fantastic. Good morning once again, and uh, it's great to be here with you this morning. Um, and I'm very excited about this morning's message. Uh, as Glenn had mentioned, uh, I am carrying on in the series of uh, the gifts of God out of Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 to 14. And uh, I will be speaking on the gift of the evangelist and the gift of evangelism. And I'm going to dive straight into that text, and uh, then we're going to unpack uh, what I believe God is saying for us uh, through that text. So uh, if you can take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 14. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure if that is, uh, if it's on a slide. No, I don't have it on a slide. Okay. Uh, but let's quickly read there together. And it says there that he that is now Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this morning's topic and this gift of evangelist or the gift of evangelism or the ministry of evangelism, if I must say that, um, in many situations, people get very nervous. You might be sitting here in church this morning and you're like, all of a sudden, it's the topic of evangelism and the evangelist. You start shrinking back. Um, there is a specific reason for that, which I'm going to get to. And I think there is to suggest why we do see that in the church, why we do see people being a little bit fearful when we talk about evangelism and sharing our faith. Uh, there was some research done by a group called Barna Group in the United States. And in their studies, they found the following. In 2018, their research revealed that within the American church, close to 50% of millennial Christians believed that it was wrong to tell other people about Jesus. Close to 50% of millennial Christians believed it was wrong to tell people about Jesus. The stats also showed that 40% of them believe that if you're differing in opinion with someone else, that it, that it is like you're judging them. So that, that might be a reason why the statistic is that high. Um, when, it, when it came to other generations, the, the Generation X people, that's, that's me, I just made that cut. It's, it's like if you're born between 1965 and 1983. How many of you are there? You're, you're, you're born in, in that time, okay? All right? Um, there we see it's close to 30%. We see that 27% of Generation X Christians believe that it is wrong to share their faith, Okay? Now, you might ask, but listen, Rudy, why is that a problem? Because that's actually very good then. Because if, uh, if that is the truth, and let's say those stats are similar to us here in Canada, and if we look at the Rock Church, we would say we are predominantly a Generation X 
and a millennial Christian church. If we look at our demographics, we've got some baby boomers and we've got a handful of elders. But I would say predominantly, we are Generation X and millennial Christians. Then it means that at least 50%, 53% to be exact, of the millennials at The Rock or of the church in Canada would share their faith or they might want to share their faith. And 73% of Generation X Christians would be sharing their faith. Do you agree with that kind of reasoning, okay? So we might ask and say, but what is the issue? Well, I'm going to ask this morning if that is the case. If it's the case that 50% of millennials are comfortable with talking about Jesus and showing people Jesus and sharing the gospel and Generation X, if, if we have at least 73%, then wouldn't we see some more fruit? Wouldn't we perhaps then see here at the Rock Church more unbelievers come and check us out? More unbelievers come to faith in Jesus? Because I believe if the gospel is shared, as the Apostle Paul said, it is the power unto salvation that if the gospel is really and truly shared, that it will not fail. It will not fail. It can't fail. doesn't mean to say that each and every person that you share it with is going to accept Jesus. We don't have that indication that that's going to happen. But it will not fail. Now, it might sound a little bit harsh for you this morning for me to ask these questions. And I can already, you know, sense that uh, many of us might even shrink back more. It's like, oh, this guy is just going to make us feel all, you know, feel guilty and we're not sharing Jesus and whatnot. No, that's not the purpose. That's not what I want to do this morning. Um, but I do want to specifically focus on this issue and talk a little bit about what might be some reasons for why we see this in the church. There might be multiple reasons for this, but I want to submit to us this morning that the main reason why we see this happening in the church is because the gift of the evangelist and the ministry of evangelism has been neglected in the church. It has become basically void. And there are certain reasons for that again. And I'm going to use an illustration this morning to tell you why I think the gift of the evangelist is kind of like void in the church. And the ministry of evangelism has suffered as a result of that. Now, this illustration I, I, I talked through with my wife, so I'm, I'm very confident in this illustration, and hopefully it will um, just illuminate to you why the gift of the evangelist, in my opinion, has become misunderstood. I think that's the main reason why it's become void, is, is because it's misunderstood. Um, I would trust that many of you are familiar with the analogy of the church being like a hospital. Okay, have you, have you heard that analogy before that the church, the body of Christ, the people, the community who trust and love Jesus are supposed to function like a hospital where the broken hearted, the broken people, those that need healing come to for healing and they are loved by the church. But then just like a hospital, they are then when they're healed, they're supposed to go out. Okay, now thinking about a hospital. There are different kinds of doctors in a hospital. You get surgeons, you get family physicians, you get what we call internal medicine specialists, 
you get consultants, and then you get eMERGE docs. And now I want to compare quickly for you to give you a better idea of why I believe the evangelist is misunderstood. I want to compare these doctors then to the different gifts that we see in Ephesians 4. I would say, for example, that the gift of the apostles could be likened to surgeons. If you know anything about surgeons, it is this. They are your typical type A personalities. Fast-paced, but very straight to the point. They know exactly what needs to be done. They know where they need to operate. They know when the surgery needs to happen, what tumor needs to be taken out. They just want to operate. They just want to have surgery and see this patient be relieved from whatever the illness is. Prophets, I would say, can be compared to what we call our internal medicine specialists. How many of you remember the series House? You remember House? House was an internist. He was a specialist and he had a team of other doctors that helped him, but they solved very peculiar cases. But they are the kind of doctors that look at patients and they look at your lifestyle and, and your diet and the fact that you don't exercise enough and they are like a prophet they come and tell you listen if you're not going to start exercising if you're not going to stop eating what you're eating you're going to die that's just like a prophet a prophet comes and he he gives you the gospel plain and simple and says listen you repent or perish and then you get pastors shepherds they care for the flock. I would compare them to your family physicians. They are very loving and, and caring. And, and especially like my, my wife, who is a family physician, she loves obstetrics and she, she cares for the women. She, she just delivered her baby this morning. And so there's that relationship, right? And so those two can be compared to one another. And then you get your, your teachers. They are consultants. They are super specialists. They give advice to the other doctors. They are the ones that offer courses. They are teachers. But then you get the eMERGE docs, the emergency doctors. Okay, if you have ever gone to eMERGE, maybe in the summer season or when there's a big event in a town and it's crazy busy and you rock up there at eMERGE because you couldn't get in to see your family physician or you, you couldn't get in with a day clinic and you just come with a cold, you're not going to get a lot of love because the eMERGE doc, the majority of the time, is dealing with a lot more serious acute issues in patients. They are there for one purpose only, is to deal with what they see in front of them, save the life, and then that patient needs to be taken care of by nurses or by their family physicians. But the reason for that is, is because the eMERGE doc knows Outside, there are 10, 20 other patients waiting, and there are cases that are severely serious. Now, if that might have happened with you, it might be the case that you have felt that the eMERGE doc was not loving. Oh, he didn't care for you as much as the GP or the family physician. You know, your cold was just quickly dealt with, and you were told to go home. It's not a big issue. Now, I want to compare the eMERGE doc to the evangelist. And I want to say that the evangelist or evangelism has been misunderstood because in many cases, the church has looked and, and misunderstood and misperceived the evangelist as being unloving and unkind. Because the evangelist 
wants to share the gospel with those who are in desperate need of their lives being changed and saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, I would encourage you to think about that analogy and, and just you know, think how that has maybe played out in the church and maybe in your life. Because I do believe that we need to have a better understanding of the gift of the evangelist and see that, listen, there is not a separation between evangelism and discipleship. Because the church had created a dichotomy between evangelism and discipleship. Between speech and actions. As if they are two mutually exclusive things. It is impossible to be a disciple of Jesus Christ without evangelism having played a part in your life. They needed to be somewhere an evangelist. A parent, a teacher, a youth leader, a pastor, someone. And it's impossible to be a disciple without evangelism playing a role in your life. It is impossible. It's, it's, not, it's not part of the, the calling of Jesus Christ on the church. And so in order for the church again to see the gift of the evangelist and the ministry of evangelism and, and have it in its proper place, I'm going to look at four questions that if we look at these things deeper, it will help us to get a better understanding and actually embrace the gift that God has given the church. So the four questions are this this morning, my message outline. Sorry, I missed the scripture there, but let's move on. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to look at what is the gift of the evangelist and evangelism? What is the purpose of the gift of the evangelist? Who should do evangelism? And then how can we be evangelists? So it's a very practical teaching this morning. Are you guys ready for it? Super amped. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Firstly, what is the gift of the evangelist? Okay, I'm going to put up a definition there for you. The gift of the evangelist can be described as a special gift of preaching and witnessing in a way that the gospel is proclaimed clearly and with a boldness and power that comes from the Holy Spirit. I want to emphasize there a special gift of preaching and witnessing, but the witnessing can take various forms. Okay, it can take various forms. It doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, have to be that it's verbal. If we look at the Gospels, the four Gospels from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and as well as Acts, and let's say the whole Bible, right? The epistles, everything is evangelistic, and it's in written form. Okay? But that is a, maybe a good broad overall definition. The Greek word for evangelist is euangelistis, and it is derived from... Euangelion, which is the Greek word for gospel and good news. So then, if we take it from there, the evangelist is then someone who is a bearer or a bringer of good news. Someone that speaks the good news. Evangelism is then the act of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to people who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet. And I want to make that clear. The reason for that is, is to persuade people by the power of the Holy Spirit that, listen, 
There is a separation between them and God. And what separates us from God is our sin. And we need to be reconciled back to God the Father. And the only way that that can be done is through repentance of our sins and to trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And that's pretty simple. That's, that's point number one. That is what the evangelist is. That's the gift of the evangelist. And that is what evangelism is. Now the second question is going to take us back to the first scripture that we looked at in Ephesians 4. And this is about the purpose of the gift of the evangelist or the purpose of evangelism. Now I want to highlight here for us that I believe if we can look at this scripture... Of course, the evangelist is listed together with all the other giftings, together with the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, and the teachers. They're all working together for the same common purpose. And, and in this scripture and in the, these verses, I want to highlight to us what I call a twofold purpose and then, in the end, one main goal. If we look at Ephesians 4, verses 12 to 13 again, it says... Christ gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ. It's a twofold purpose. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That second part, I believe, describes the overarching goal. In other words, the goal is to become more like who? Like Christ. That the body of Christ will together start functioning and becoming more like Jesus. So the purpose again twofold. Equip the saints. What will happen then? The body of Christ is built up. And if the body of Christ is built up, we are all growing together, maturing in our faith, becoming more like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's pretty simple just, just there, but somewhere there is a bit of a disconnect in our daily lives. And I will be the first to admit that, right? There, there seems to be a disconnect sometimes in my life between um, what we read in Scripture and what I'm actually living out. Thirdly... Who should do evangelism? Same scripture. It says, the gifts were given to do what? To equip who? Us, the saints. And might I just say this, I cannot stand here and assume that all of us that are sitting here have committed our lives to Jesus and you're following Jesus wholeheartedly. It would be foolish to go and assume that all of us who are sitting here are Christians. So the point is, it's the saints that are equipped and being equipped. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those are the saints. You see, there is a false perception in the church that the work of the ministry are for the professional ministers. Those who are being paid. Those who are part of the clergy. And we tend to call them full-time Ministers. Can I tell you the truth? As soon as you acknowledge your sin before God, you trust in Jesus Christ for what He had done on the cross for you, 
by being sacrificed for the sins of the world, having died and then rose after three days. If you trust in His work and you become a Christian, as soon as that happens, guess what? You're in full-time ministry. <laughs> it's not the paid guys. It's not the, the, the associate pastor's role. It's not the lead pastor's role to do the ministry. No. The gifts have been given to equip the church, to equip the saints. It doesn't matter in what capacity you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a barber, whether you're a barista, whether you're a, one of the, uh, working at one of the beer breweries, or whether you're a doctor or a teacher. God has given you a vocation, a calling, so that that place might become your sphere of influence, so that the work of the ministry can be done. That is what the Bible actually teaches. If, if you go and have a look at the spreading of the gospel when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there were groups of people from the dispersion. They were from the countries and areas around Jerusalem. After the Holy Spirit was poured out and after Pentecost, those people went back. To their places and in their capacities where they were at, they shared the gospel. And so this is essential to the mission of the church. If we look at Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus told us, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It is essential. Okay, it's impossible to rely on one or two or three or five elders in a church and they're supposed to do the work of the ministry. That's definitely just not the model that we see. It was not modeled by Jesus. Jesus equipped 12 disciples. Those disciples went and they made disciples and those disciples went and they made disciples. We also see in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, that the Apostle Paul gave this instruction to Timothy. Timothy was not an evangelist, but he was a pastor. And he says to him, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. And I believe those words of Paul ring true to each and every one of us in whatever capacity you are in. Fulfill the work of the ministry where you are at. Which leads us to our final question. How can we be evangelists? And I think this is the big issue. We struggle with this one. The methodology around how we are supposed to share our faith. Because it's pretty straightforward to see what the gift of the evangelist is what the purpose is, and then who is supposed to do it, but how. And for this, I want to take us to the book of Acts. So if you can take your Bible and, and turn to Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. Well, I just take a sip of water here. And we're going to basically run through the whole chapter by jumping uh, to different verses. But before I read this, just a bit of context. After the, the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, 
uh, as we read it in the book of Acts chapter 2, and we see the church explode from having been 120 believers to overnight becoming 3,000, becoming 5,000 within a short space of time, we see that there is an increase in the boldness in the disciples. We read that the church had to choose seven servants or helpers that are called deacons in the church in Acts 6. Because there was such a need in the church, some people were being neglected, widows were being neglected. And amongst those servants, there were two guys. The one is Stephen. He was very bold about his faith and he died for his faith in Acts 7. And then we see the consequence of that is, is that there is a persecution that breaks out against the church, which is led by at that stage someone called Saul, who later became, became the Apostle Paul when he met Jesus. And so in Acts 8, we read how the church was persecuted and then they scatter. Now let's pick up uh, from verse 4, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Let that sink in a bit. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Can you imagine if persecution broke out here against the Rock Church or the church in Squamish and we have to flee for our lives? And you have to pack whatever you have and you have to get to the airport or you need to go up north, maybe to the Yukon. <laughs> okay? On your way there, are you going to be really, you were just persecuted for preaching Jesus. Now these guys, they're scattered, they have to flee. While they're fleeing and while they're being scattered, they're still preaching Jesus. I don't know if I would be still preaching Jesus if I'm being, you know, hunted. We read on. It says then, Philip went down to the city. Philip was one of the seven deacons that's chosen in Acts 6. They went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. I wanted to jump to verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Jump to verse 25. It says in verse 25, now when they, this is still Peter and John, it's talking about Peter and John. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages in, uh, of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For this, for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, or this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We're going to stop there. Out of this scripture that we just read of Philip, I want to highlight to us then, in order to answer the question of how we need to, or how we can be evangelists and, and participate in evangelism, I want to highlight to us two kinds of evangelism that we can see being done by Philip. The first one is public evangelism. And this is the one that we shrink back. We're like, I don't like that idea. And the reason for this is we have been shown many bad examples. <laughs> right? We have seen people that picket in cities and they've got signs that say, God hates you and, and whatnot. And, and, and it's just a hateful speech or maybe a hateful way. But if we look at Philip, we see that Philip was one of the first disciples that went outside of Jerusalem and he preached publicly. And what is really interesting about the story is that he goes to Samaria and he preaches in Samaria. Now, this is very interesting because in Luke 9 verse 54, we read that Jesus was traveling through Samaria with two disciples, John and James, and he was on his way to Jerusalem. This is before he was going to be crucified. But as he sent some of his disciples forth to go and prepare a place for him in a Samaritan village, they rejected him. They did not want to hear Jesus. They didn't want to receive him because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Because they believed that the place of worship was Samaria. Because they were coming out of the northern kingdom of Israel that had separated in 930 BC from Judah, the southern kingdom. And they made Samaria the place of worship. So Philip goes to these people that rejected Jesus and he preaches Jesus and they come to faith in Jesus. But what I want to point out, what's very important about the public ministry is, is it's not just Philip. He goes, yes, he preaches, but what happens directly after that? Who is sent to him to help him? Two apostles, Peter and John. They support him. And so the evangelist goes, but there is a cooperation and a working together with the rest of the gifts, with the church. 
And so we read then in verse 25 how Peter and John, they pray for these people. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They keep on then preaching the gospel. Even though Peter and John are apostles, they are evangelistic. They preach the gospel in other Samaritan villages. And so that is the first kind of evangelism we see. Public evangelism. You know, Jeff would laugh at this because I, I have many crazy ideas. But what, you know, what would it look like for us here in Squamish to get a, an espresso truck bike? Have you seen those bikes? It's like an espresso bike or like a cart or something. And, and you're out in the street. You're in the marketplace, perhaps you're on a Saturday in the, in the summer, where we have got various people that are in the marketplace, such as tarot card readers and and, and fortune tellers. And I love engaging with those guys, right? Like just to find out what, what, what are you doing here, right? And just to see where the conversation leads. But you know, that's, that's kind of like what it could look like to be in that space, but with the intention to share the gospel. That is what the ledge is. The ledge is in the marketplace in order to do that, to build a relationship with people, love people, but actually share the gospel. But that's the first kind of evangelism. Second one we see is personal evangelism. And this is where anyone really, anyone can do this kind of evangelism. This is what all of us are called for. I would say public evangelism, I would say in my opinion, you, you find that's a definite calling. That's not necessarily for all people. I would say that's more leaning towards those that are really gifted in the gift of the evangelist. But personal evangelism, we see in verse 29, play out in this way. It says that Philip, what, what happened? Who spoke to Philip? The Spirit. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join that chariot. So what is important about this is the ability to hear God's still small voice through the Holy Spirit. Philip is obedient. He's an evangelist, but he, he doesn't just use that gift for public ministry, but he does it in a personal capacity as well. He obeys. Now, the question is, how can I hear God's voice? Is it possible to hear God's voice? Glenn had mentioned last week, you know what? It's happened to him where he's maybe preaching or talking and, and he says something that the Holy Spirit has just prompted him to, to say. And the fruit of it is good because it, it actually came from God. And I want to submit to you that it is crucial for us if we are going to be advancing the kingdom of God that we need to hear God's voice clearly. But it is impossible to hear what the Holy Spirit is whispering in your heart if you are not grounded in the truth of the word of God. That is a fact. It's, it's, it's a fact that Philip, if you look at him, he started with the scripture first. That scripture that the eunuch was reading, he explained to him the gospel. I'm pretty sure Philip was grounded in the truth. Because it is only then that you're able to discern really what God is saying. And so that is very important for us. You know what? I want to I wanna say there is a lie that had been told to the church, and it went like this. It was a quote apparently from St. Francis of Assisi that said, 
Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that being said by people? Okay. Now, that's totally a misquote of what St. Francis said. He was actually a fiery preacher. But what that statement means is that, listen, all you need to do is just live it. Just live it in front of people. They don't need to hear it. They don't, they don't need to hear about Jesus. You don't need to bash them with the Bible. Yeah, that's true. Don't bash someone with the, with the Bible. That's, what, that's not what we're called to do. But we're, we're sold this lie that people are just going to look at how you live. And they're going to be like, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if that guy's a Christian. It's false. Because the, the truth is, there are most probably thousands upon thousands of people out there that are not Christians that are doing way better works than all of us. Do you guys know that? There are social justice warriors. There are um, humanitarian workers. They do way better things than I do. But we know the Bible teaches that we are not justified by what we do. We are not justified by our works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, and that faith looks like something. Faith works. James says that without works, faith is dead. But works without faith is also dead. And I want to throw on to you, uh, for you just another piece of scripture there from the Apostle Paul in, in Romans 10. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless someone is sent or they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The last verse there says, faith comes through hearing the word and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing the word. Now, there are ways then in which we need to do this. Okay, we've got two kinds. We've got public evangelism, personal evangelism. But in the end, the question is still, okay, so in what way are we supposed to do this? Because we know the worst example is all those people that are picketing and, and shouting hate speech and, and, and things about God that is definitely not true. And they give us a bad rap and we shrink back. So we know the answer to bad evangelism is not no evangelism. The answer to bad evangelism is what? Good evangelism. Okay? So here we go. Last two parts. Out of 1 Peter 3 verse 15, we read this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Three things quickly out of that verse. Set apart Christ as holy. Have you done that yet? It might be that you have been in the church for your whole life, or you have been here at the Rock Church for 10 years, five years, three years, a year and a half, or you've just arrived, the question is still the same to someone new or someone who has been here for a long time. Is Christ first in your life? Or is it your hobbies? Is it your passions? Secondly, are you prepared? Are you ready in whatever capacity you're at? 
whether it be in Walmart, in Costco, whether it be in your work, or whether it be that you're climbing the rocks or the boulders or ice climbing, it, it doesn't matter whatever capacity, are you prepared then to give a testimony of what God had done in your life? Do you have that intentionality? Like, you know, a week ago we had this massive snow dump. I praise God for that snow. <laughs> Do you know why? <laughs> because I got to know my neighbor right across from me, who I've always just seen. He comes with his car and he reverses in and the, the garage closes. And I, I started, you know, I had a nickname for him. I, I won't say it now. But then I was snow shoveling and I could see this guy's working hard and we all of a sudden we have this in common and God opens the door and I'm like hey man you know I live across from me and he's like yeah I remember you and get to know his name now I know what he does as well as another neighbor right next to me I haven't been able to give them a testimony yet but at least I you know I go out there and immediately I'm like man I want to get to know these people and the intentionality to get to know who they are in order that if God opens the door to share the gospel with them. And then the last one there out of this verse is to do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. So a lot of love, a lot of compassion for people. Which leads me to my last tool to summarize how we can be good evangelists. I want to give you this last tool to take home. And maybe you want to write this down. But it's really simple. Jesus said that we are supposed to be salt and light. So I'm going to use salt as an acronym. And I got this from Dr. Rice Brooks, uh, who was one of the founders of um, Every Nation Church and the writer of the book and... Uh, yeah, I think he had a role to play in the movies, God's Not Dead. Whether you like the movies or not. <laughs> but he's, he's an apologist and an evangelist. Anyways, so salt. This is how you can be uh, an evangelist in your everyday life. Firstly, is start conversations. Start conversations with people. Start conversations with people in the coffee shop. While you're waiting in line at Costco or Walmart, save on. Take an interest in people. You know what's the worst thing that we've, we've got in our, in our hands today is our phones. Because I, I've watched this at the airports and everywhere. As soon as we're in a line somewhere, we're uncomfortable. Uh, don't know what to do. Uh, okay. And this thing, I call it a soother. It's like a baby that puts in a dummy, right? Like a soother. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like we escape. It's like we're, I cope with, okay, nobody is seeing me. It's as if no one sees you. <laughs> no. People see you. So have conversations with people, okay? Second one, in those conversations, ask questions. Yeah, don't send a text message. Speak to them. Ask questions. So in other words, don't make it about you. Start the conversation. Lay down who you are. It's not about you. Have a, a good conversation. Ask questions. And then if you ask questions, listen intently, listen with compassion, listen with love, because the people will reveal a lot to you about where they're at in their life, 
maybe some kind of brokenness or their worldview, whether they're atheistic, agnostic, polytheistic, new agey. And then the last one, T, this is important then together with listen, to listen for the Holy Spirit if there is an opportunity to tell your story. That's important. But your story will only be as powerful as it is about God. The question is, is your story God's story? Is it a testimony? Is it about what Jesus had done for you? And that's a little tool to help all of us as we scatter from here today. I'll conclude today the following. And I want to say this. Evangelism is not a program. It is not something that we strive to do out of our own strength. We come up with great plans on how to do this. But evangelism is the embodiment of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple who goes and makes disciples. And it is a gift that really each and every Christian is supposed to have part of their palette of gifts. I want to end with an invitation to all of us. Because I would be the first one to admit that I need to grow in this area of my life. In growing more and more like Jesus, I really can't get away from the fact that Jesus had compassion and love on people, but he loved them so much that he would not leave them where they were at. And so I want to make the invitation here this morning to all of us. Maybe we need to come to God this morning in a posture of neediness. In a posture of actually demonstrating our need through holding out our hands like this this morning. And declaring and admitting before God that, Lord, I need your help. Because we, as the church, we need his help. The Rock Church, we need Jesus' help with us. We need his spirit to do a work in us. Because otherwise, it's just a work out of the flesh. So that's the first invitation to all of us who have a relationship with Jesus to do that. And second invitation is for anyone, if you have not acknowledged your sin before God this morning. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that is maybe a place for you to sit this morning also with hands open and say, Lord, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness for my sins. So let's... Uh...